0: Greetings in the name of Jesus, the greatest missionary of all time. He traveled farther and he sacrificed more to fulfill his mission than anyone else ever did. And were it not that he did that, we would not be here as children of God. But because of his compassion and his willingness to be a missionary... We can be here as God's people. <clears throat> I feel almost apologetic for even taking some time here this evening. I know Manny could have gone on very well for the rest of the evening and it would have been profitable to hear what more he had to say. <clears throat> I like to commend you as a church for uh, continuing your tradition of having a mission conference like this. I think if I'm not mistaken, our AMA mission was, had its birth right here. Is that right? Right here at the Weaver Town Church? In 1958. So thank you for continuing to stir interest in missions. Uh, Steve Saint said this way, Not everyone is called to be a missionary, and by that he meant foreign missions. Not everyone is called to be a missionary, but missions is for everyone. I think you heard the title that was given to me, the cross-cultural kingdom. And uh, Andy told me I could change the title a bit if I wanted to. Respecting the culture while honoring the word is the way it's given on your schedule, and I didn't ask him to change that, but I changed it a bit for myself and the message this evening. I'm going to talk about adaption without compromise, adaption without compromise, and I'll explain that, what I mean by that as as I go on. Now, we were here on Sunday evening, and I was blessed by what was given by the brothers that evening. Austin talked uh, about adaption. Covered that subject quite well, adapting to the culture. I appreciated what Alvin had to share. I, uh, I think what he uh, gave us that evening was very, uh, very applicable to all of us wherever we are serving the Lord. Now, what I have this evening is geared more toward serving on the foreign field. And I know a number of you have done that. You can probably identify with some of what I'll be saying. And I hope that many more of you will be doing that. But even if you don't ever go overseas to serve the Lord, to spread the gospel, uh, I hope you can glean something this evening. Maybe you can learn to understand a bit better what your missionaries are facing sometimes and pray for them in a more intelligent way. Now, when I first thought about this, was thinking about this subject my mind went back, way back to when I was a young boy. You know how sometimes there are certain things from way back there that we sort of have mental pictures of. I grew up in an Amish home, but my parents went to uh, revival meetings and tent meetings and Bible schools sometimes. And I have some memories of one time when someone took us along to a and Augsburger tent crusade. I think it was maybe down in the Coatesville, Downingtown area somewhere. But I just have a a sort of a memory, a mental picture of as we drove into that field where this large tent was erected and there was a, a banner, like a sign on the tent. And if my memory serves me right, it said, The whole gospel for the whole world. The whole gospel for the whole world. I think that in a few words describes missions. It is the whole gospel for the whole world. And I'd like to enlarge on that a bit this evening and talk about some things that are involved in taking the whole gospel to the whole world, to the world beyond us, beyond our little world here. Jesus said we should be witnesses in Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel means good news. We know that a newspaper is soon outdated. If you get the daily news, it's good for one day, and then it's, you throw it away and you want the next one. It soon is outdated. But the gospel, this good news, uh, is never outdated. It, it has not changed since Jesus gave it, since the apostles gave it, It is still the same. This gospel message that we are to take to all nations, to all people, has not changed. But we live in a changing world, don't we? And we are aware that in this world, there is considerable variety in how people groups think and live. We call that culture, don't we? That's culture. I suppose it goes back to Babel. The Bible says after the flood that the people were of one language and one speech. But they misused that unity and they wanted to make a name for themselves and so God confounded their languages. And so we have to have all nations Bible translators because of that. And he scattered them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And from there, I think we have the many different cultures. <clears throat> I said I want to talk about adaption without compromise. And I'll explain what I mean by that, just give a brief definition of those words. Adaption simply means to make fit, to make it fit. Compromise, the way I'm using it here, is to, ex- to accept standards that are lower than desirable. Or another way of saying it is to give in to Something that is less than what God wants. We're using compromise in that way. <clears throat> I want to talk in the next minutes here about, first of all, about culture and faith. And then about lawful adaption to culture, or maybe we should say necessary adaption to culture. And then about uh, teaching the all things of the gospel without compromise. Let's think a little more about culture. Culture is the way of life of a particular society or group of people. It's just the practice of doing things the way we do them because of how we have learned it and what we've been taught. It involves the way we think, it involves the way we talk and communicate, it involves our customs, our behavior, our dress, and a lot of other things. Our culture. Now we're talking about uh, taking the gospel to, to other cultures. So when we leave America, uh, we don't let our culture behind, really. We take our culture with us. The way we've learned to do things, that, that pretty much goes with us. And then we arrive at this strange, foreign place, and all of a sudden we realize that things are so different. People do things different here. This is not the way I was used to it. What does this mean? We call that cultural shock. And we may begin to wonder, how, how am I going to fit in here? Uh, how, how am I going to, are people going to accept me? Are, be, are people going to accept the message I have? Are they going to understand me? They're so different. Now, just a few things about culture. I think in every culture, there are probably some good practices and some not so good. Also, I believe that there are some things that can be done. Let me say it this way. There's more than one right way to do some things. Let me just give you a little example of that. And and what I'm I'm sharing this evening is from uh, pretty much from our experience in Kenya. That's the perspective from which I'm coming. But over there, well, they live in mud huts, a lot of them, the people we worked with. And they usually have one main room. And in that room, in the middle of that room, is a table, their table, where they serve their food. It's like a low table, sort of like a coffee table. And then uh, outside, along the walls, are the seats. And they usually have, uh, the ladies like to have a tablecloth of some kind on that table. Something kind of nice sometimes. And then when the time comes to serve you food, you know, they'll bring it out in the bowls and dishes and set it on that table. But they remove the tablecloth first and then they set the food on there. Now, my wife likes to put the tablecloth on the table before she serves food to the guests. Is one way better or more right than another? Probably not. You see, there are some things in every culture or there are some things that there's more than one right way to do them is what I'm saying. So culture. I believe our culture is shaped by our belief system. A lot of what we do, how we do it, has to do with what we believe. I want to talk a little about faith. And I'm, I'm using the word faith in the aspect of, not so much the aspect of what's in my heart reaching out to God, but as Jude said, uh, we should earnestly contend for the faith. And I think the Amplified says there, uh, the psalm of Christian belief. We're talking about the, the, what we believe. The faith of the gospel, as the Bible says. Jude goes on to say that we should, we should build up ourselves on the most holy faith. So it's, it's what we believe. Basically, we believe in God as the creator. We believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we believe in the Bible as the word of God. We believe this, this word is authoritative. It, it has instructions for us. It's, it's God's will for our lives. We believe that the doctrines of the Bible are eternal absolutes that do not change. They do not change with time. They do not change with circumstances. They do not change with culture. There are eternal absolutes in this this book. When we went to Kenya, I didn't need to get another Bible to take along. I took the one I use here. I was expected to teach and preach out of the same Bible that I used here. Because there are eternal absolutes in here that are for all people of all nations. The Bible sets forth unchanging principles for us whereby we can find direction for our lives. What's a principle? It's defined as a fundamental truth that serves as a foundation for a system of belief or behavior. So it's foundational. It's something that gives us a foundation. So there are principles in here that give us a foundation whereby we can whereupon we can build our lives. And not only can we understand how God wants us to live, but we have something solid that we can teach to others to show them how God wants them to live. Unchanging principles. Now, we know principles must be applied. The Bible doesn't give a lot of specifics, does it? It doesn't tell us exactly how we are to dress. It doesn't tell us exactly how we are to conduct our worship services or what kind of transportation we are to use or a lot of other things. It doesn't go into a lot of specifics. And so, uh, well, I'd just like to use an illustration that I kind of like, a way to uh, help us understand Principle and application uh, are traffic laws, <clears throat> speed limits, and so forth. What, what is the reason for speed limits? What is the reason for traffic laws? What is the principle behind it? In, in, to my thinking, it is probably safety, maybe order, so that we can arrive at our destination safely and in an orderly manner. But I don't go out here to Route 340 and see signs that say drive at a safe speed. Suppose it would be that way. It would state the principle but would not make an application. People would interpret it differently. But our authorities have seeing that because of conditions, there's a stretch out here where it is safe to drive 55. But when you get to the village of intercourse, it's only safe to drive 35. And then further on, it's maybe 40 or 45. You see that they have applied the principle according to the conditions. And so the point I'm trying to make is that there are unchanging principles in this in this book. But uh, various cultures call for various applications of these principles. So, I want to move on. Necessary adaption to culture. And I'm going to look at the example of the Apostle Paul for a lot of my points for the rest of this message. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I said Jesus is the greatest missionary of all time, and I suppose we would put Paul about second, wouldn't we? From our records, we see Paul as a great missionary. Well, Paul was one that did some adapting Look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Did you see some words there coming through a number of times? He says that I might gain them or win them would be another word. That was Paul's goal, to win people to Christ. And he was willing to do some adapting to reach that goal. There's a couple instances recorded for us in the book of Acts where I believe Paul was doing that. In Acts 21, Paul was meeting there with the church at Jerusalem and they told him that there's all these Jewish believers. But they're also very zealous of the law and they're hearing that. You're saying you don't need to keep the law of Moses. You're teaching against it. And so Paul, by their encouragement, uh, took this vow and purified himself along with several other men. It was part of the ceremonial law, I think. And Paul, he was a, he was a Jew, but he was convinced that uh, you don't. now that Christ was here and fulfilled the law, we, we don't need to keep all those ceremonies. But Paul seemingly was Willing to do this, so hopefully the Jews will be more open to his message. Now, it didn't turn out so well for Paul there, and some people have questioned whether he was wise in doing that. But I think his, his motive was right. His goal was right. He was doing something that he wouldn't have needed to do, but he, his goal was to win people to Christ. Another example is uh, the young man, Timothy. Paul uh, wanted him as a helper, and so he had him circumcised. Timothy was a half Jew, his father was a Greek, and that that would have been repulsive to the Jews, probably. And so, because of the Jews in those parts, it says, uh, Paul had Timothy circumcised, so as not to offend them. So, hopefully, they would be more receptive to the gospel. And I suppose that Paul did uh, some other adapting, too, but What I want to notice is that Paul's adapting was not compromising with anything unbiblical or ungodly. Paul says here that I have made myself servant unto all. Someone said this way, he was not compromising, but he was condescending. He was willing to make himself a servant. He was limiting his liberty in Christ rather than pressing his rights limiting his liberty rather than pressing his rights. Are we willing to do that? He was not joining these people in their sinful practices. It was not become like them to win them. Adaption to culture may indeed require some sacrifice, but it should never involve compromise. In fact, I think some adaption is necessary. Gary Miller, in his book uh, Church Matters, says this way, if there is no adaption to culture, Christianity is unintelligible and cannot spread. If there is too much adaption, what we would call compromise, it will spread, but will no longer be Christianity. We talk about watering down the gospel. We should never do that. Never try to Just make the gospel appeal to people so we'll have numbers responding. The gospel requires some hard things. It requires repentance. It requires self-denial. It requires cross-bearing. And we should never bypass that in presenting the gospel. That is not lawful adaption. That is compromise. But adaptation is finding a reasonable way to apply the principle in that particular culture in a way that does not violate or, or weaken the principle. And let me just give an example of that. <clears throat> we believe the Bible teaches to observe communion, don't we? The Bible says Jesus took bread and broke it, gave it to the disciples. He took the cup and shared it with the disciples, and he said, this do in remembrance of me, and as often as you do this, uh, you're doing in remembrance of me. In other words, he, he indicated this should be continued, and it has been a practice of the church, I believe, since then. And we believe when we go on the mission field, we should teach the churches there that, to have a communion service. Now, when we have communion, we usually have a nice loaf of homemade bread that one of our sisters... Baked, but in Kenya they don't eat a lot of bread. If they do, they they don't have ovens. I'm talking about the people that we work with, the, the common people out there in the rural areas. They don't have ovens to bake bread. So if they do want bread, they need to go to the local shop and buy this white stuff, fluffy white stuff, and probably not so fluffy till it gets to you. And so uh, in Kenya, we don't use bread for communion, but there's another food that is common to them. It's called the chapati. It's sort of like a, a tortilla. It's something that they eat a lot of, something they can make in their homes. And so the mission there has seen fit to use the chapati for communion. We can get one of the national sisters to make them for us, and it makes them feel like you know, this is, this is our thing. We're a part of this. Are we weakening the principle of communion by using the chapati rather than bread? I don't think so. You see, there's some adaption that is just because of necessity or it's just more practical. Even before our sisters in Churches here were wearing the veil style covering. It was practiced on the mission field because it seemed more practical. And there would just be other examples of that. So some, some adaption is it's just more practical in that culture. And it does not necessarily violate the principle. Some adaption is out of respect to their way of doing things. To avoid giving the impression that our way is the best way. You see, we want to build relationships, don't we? If we want to effectively spread the gospel, if we want them to be receptive to it, we must build relationships with them. And so there are some, some things we do their way because it helps to build respect. It's out of respect for their way of doing it. Another example would be, uh, okay, when we go to visit someone in their home. They probably come to the door and invite us in and we shake their hand right there and then maybe they tell us to sit down and we begin visiting. Not so in Kenya. They'll invite you inside and then the men go to the right and the women to the left and you, where the seats are and you stand there until everybody's in and then someone leads in prayer. Then after you prayed then you greet each other. And then you sit down and begin visiting. Now, when we go to leave, we usually say, well, about time we go. So we get up and say goodbye and go. Unless we're Amish, maybe we shake hands again. But not so there. There, when you think it's time to go, you say, "Uh, am I free to go? You ask them, am I free to go? Are we free to go? And if you are, then you stand again, pray again, probably, and then go. Now, suppose we would go and say, well, that's, that's kind of, let's just do it our way. This, this doesn't really make sense to us. No, we do it their way, out of respect. And really, maybe it's better than our way. Praying, maybe it's better than our way. But it does take a lot of wisdom and discernment to know when and how to adapt. In some areas, it takes a lot of wisdom. Culture must be evaluated by God's word. And like I said, I'm I'm speaking from the reference point of Kenya. But Kenya culture is very superstitious. One thing they do, they have the back to the grave ceremony. A year after a person dies, they go back to the grave and have a little do a little sacrifice there have a little ceremony what's behind it is to keep the evil spirits away there's a lot of things in their culture like that it's it has something to do with the evil spirits and so if you do this you appease them or whatever and so they have other practices like when they build a house remember they live in mud houses when they build a house before you build a house Someone has to pray there at the site where you're going to build. And there are some other things they do. The, the owner is supposed to light a little fire there on the site, and I don't know all the details. I think there were certain things they were to carry in there to the, to the site. And so they would ask us, the pastor, to come and pray before they build the house. So we'd, we'd drive 10 miles. Tomorrow morning I need to go 10 or 12 miles and pray there at that site so they can get started building. Not that they're that in a hurry to start, but so should we do that? (laughs) Or is that part of their superstitious culture to appease the spirits? Well, we did. We went and prayed. Oh, yeah. Then when the house is finished, Before you put anything inside, you pray again inside this new house. So there's just a lot of things that take wisdom and discernment to know. Another area, another thing that we struggled with was the thing of being on time. Now, we're very time conscious here in America. We, we we used to say this way, we go by clock time and they go by event time. So we would say that this morning we're going to have a service and it'll start at nine o'clock, it'll be over at eleven thirty, and then at twelve o'clock we eat lunch. They would say we're gonna have a service sometime this morning before lunch before we eat lunch. Some of them just go by the sun, I think. They don't even have clocks in their houses. And so you have this dribbling in, you know, Sunday morning when after the service has started, people keep dribbling in. So how do we handle that? Seems like it's a part of their culture to not be so time conscious. And we're maybe overboard the other way, so, so conscious of doing it right on time. Takes a lot of wisdom. And we, we continued to uh, encourage them to be on time. To me, it seems like there are biblical principles behind being on time. The Bible teaches, you know, let everything be done in decently and in order. It teaches not putting off what we should do now. Just other things that seem to tell me that being on time is a good thing. And yet, uh, we tried to be patient. We tried to just patiently keep showing them that we felt there was a better way than always being late. But, you know, you need to be careful in those things that you don't get upset. If you're not careful, you're in your zeal for upholding one principle. You might be violating another one like patience and kindness and love. <clears throat> but I think We need to look for common ground, not so much focus on our differences when we go to another culture. But we do have a lot in common. And one thing that we have very much in common is we all have the same sinful nature. You soon see that in other people. They have much the same temptations as we do. Maybe some are stronger in certain ways than what we're faced with. But yes, we all have a sinful nature and we all, all need the same savior. The gospel is adaptable to every culture. Peter, when he uh, was in the house of Cornelius there, the first Gentile convert, and he uh, perceived that God accepted Cornelius even though he was not a Jew and not circumcised. He said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Okay, I want to move on now uh, teaching the all things without compromise. We want to see how that was commanded and practiced in the Bible. And I'm not going to turn to these scriptures for the sake of time. We're all familiar with Matthew 28, so we call what we call the Great Commission, as given by Matthew. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all, even through the end of the world. Notice the all's in there. Teach all nations. Teach them all things. The whole gospel for the whole world. The Apostle Paul, when he had uh, gathered the Ephesian elders together there to give his farewell address, he said this way, I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul talked pretty straightforward to people, didn't he? To the churches. He did not overlook sin. He, he, he confronted people when there was sin. In, in his letter to the Corinthian church, beginning of the letter there, 1 Corinthians, he addressed, said, I'm writing to you, Corinthians. Called to be saints, then he said, With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And in chapter 4, he said, As I teach everywhere in every church. Chapter 7, And so ordain I in all the churches. I don't think Paul taught one thing to one church and something different to another, depending what kind of people they were. You see, God has given us a universal message that is, for every culture. It is a message that will change lives when it is embraced and obeyed, no matter what culture. It is our duty and responsibility to give that message without apology and without compromise. Now, on the mission field, like I already said, sometimes we may be confronted with cultural practices that we realize are unscriptural. Yes, we did adapt in some ways. We didn't use bread. We used chapatis. We tried to learn their language. We tried. We ate their food. But another part of their culture is polygamy. It's very common for men to have more than one wife. There was this young couple in our church. Uh, She was baptized, I think, soon after we were there. He was uh, sort of had sort of been in and out of the church, but one day we heard, and, and they attended regularly. But one day we heard that she left; she ran off. And I, I'm assuming there were problems on both sides. But he did not know where she's at. He could not find out where she went to. We did not know where she's at, and this went on for a while. One day after Bible study, this man came to me and said, Pastor, I'd like to talk to you. And so I went aside and he said, I'd like to take another wife. Well, I think he knew knew how I believed. I think he was just trying me out. But I I suppose there would have been pastors that would have said, well, you know, this man needs a companion. He's lonely. Uh, We don't know where she's at. We don't even know if she's alive anymore. Yeah, go ahead part of your culture why not? <clears throat> well, I, I I threw it right back in his lap. I said, "Well, what does the Bible say?" And he knew. He said the Bible says we should just have one wife. We dare not compromise. Biblical marriage is something that so important to teach wherever we go in every culture. And there again, you, you we, we had this uh, what what is biblical marriage then in their culture? Okay, well, uh, more and more it is so that they just start living together. Of course, we don't accept that. But they have what we refer to as traditional marriage, where a man, the, the two families would get together, the boy and the girl's family, and they would have some dialogue together. And then the, the young man would bring his dowry to the, the lady's uh, house, and thereupon they would be married. To them, that's the, the traditional way to become married. No ceremony where they have vows. No uh, certificate with uh, registered with the government. <clears throat> and yet to them, it was going, taking the proper steps to become married. So how do you handle that? Well, AMA made a decision on that, I guess, long before I was there. But our practice was that traditional marriage, if they did that, we recognized them as being married. We did not say you can't live together. We recognized that as marriage. However, we, uh, in order to become members of the church, we, we had them have a, a, a ceremony. We had a little ceremony where they exchanged vows. We filled out the certificate. A, a marriage officer would fill out the certificate and send it into the proper place. That's how we handled that. You see, there's a lot of uh, complexities sometimes in other cultures and it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to handle some of these things. <clears throat> Cheating is so common to them and after all they're poor. They, they need it. Uh, we had programs and some of that has been uh, given over to Christian aid by now but we had programs to, uh, to help the needy. And so there were men in the churches that we entrusted with considerable amount of money with the plan that they were responsible to see that goes to the proper place to the widows or whoever. Such a temptation to keep a little for themselves. And it it was, uh, yeah, sometimes we got weary of working with all these things and it was a temptation to just let, let let these little things slip. After all, this man's a pastor. We need him in the church. He cheated a little, but can't we just sort of have him confess and move on? Let him continue to be a minister. You see, there's, uh, yeah, that would betray trust for that man. We, We can't compromise with things like that. They have a lot of practices that are based on superstition and fear. And then it's the women's hair. You know black women's hair are different than white women's, right? They're harder to manage. And so it's very common over there to they just cut all their hair off. You see a lot of just bareheaded women there. Well, we believe the Bible says that long hair is a glory to the woman. It's given to her for a covering. So we did not compromise with that. We did not accept. Even those black ladies to cut their hair. <clears throat> so we need to continue teaching principles like biblical marriage, honesty, commitment, modesty and simplicity. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how we're to dress, but it does teach modesty, that the body should be properly covered. It teaches simplicity, not for outward show. That is applicable in any culture. Being true to one's commitment. There was a brother in our church. And he was probably as well off as anyone in the church. Because he had a full-time job teaching in the school. But one day, and it was not so long before we planned to terminate. A couple months, maybe maybe it was a half a year. But he he came to me and he wanted to borrow some money. Send one of his Girls to school, I think, and I was rather reluctant. We we did some loaning money there, but not a whole lot. It, it's a bit uh, risky. Not not only not particularly because you might not get it back, but you know when you loan money to a brother in the church, and there's it, a potential there for creating feelings if they can't pay it back and so on. But anyway, I uh, I agreed to give him some of a portion of what he was asking for. I loaned it to him, and he had his plan of how he was going to uh, pay it back. Sure enough, he, he was not able to to keep up with his commitment of paying back. He paid a little back, I think, monthly. But time came for us to come home, and he had not paid it all back. And, and I think there are cases where it would be right and good to just forgive a debt like that. But this man, I, I, I felt, was he was pretty well off financially. And uh, I felt if I would just forgive his debt, it probably wouldn't be the best for him. He, he might get sloppy and think he can do that again. So I just told him that he's to uh, keep making his payments to the, the next pastor. And I didn't make that pastor responsible necessarily to collect it, but I told him if he pays, you put it in the church offering. You see, uh, yeah, we need to teach people to be true to their commitment. Not giving the impression that when we teach principle, we want to be careful we don't give the impression that this is our way of doing it and so this is the right way. But rather, teach it from the scripture. Show them this is what the Bible says. And that's why we do it this way. Yes, what we believe affects how we live. And I believe that embracing the truths of God's word is going to produce a godly lifestyle in any culture. We saw that. In Africa, it, it, uh, it produced the same, the same fruit of the spirit we saw coming forth from people's lives when they embraced the gospel. The same that we see here. So I want to conclude here with just a few points. I believe our goal is to bring people to Christ and to help them live the Christian life. I believe we need to be willing to make some changes And make some personal sacrifices to reach that goal. And I believe that compromising on biblical principles will never bring the desired results. Not what God wants. Let me just quote a couple verses again out of Romans 10. Emmanuel already referred to that. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. The whole gospel for the whole world. It also says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And bring glad tidings of good things. So may God bless you wherever he is calling you. To be an instrument of peace. To bring glad tidings of of good things. May God help you to be faithful whether it's here or elsewhere. God bless you.